Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words will be up there on the screen in back of me, Luke chapter 7, and we'll get there in a moment. If you're new with us, we are in a series called The Fruit of the Spirit in the Life of Jesus. And today we're looking at the fruit of kindness, the fruit of kindness. If we could have spent a week with Jesus, at times his kindness would have bothered us. I'm not talking about his kindness toward us, I'm talking about his kindness toward the outcast, to the broken, to the poor, and to the lost. As you read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Luke, no one can dispute that Jesus prioritized and pursued the outsider. Thinking about the book of Luke this past week, I was reminded of why I named my son Luke. And it wasn't because later on I could look at him and say, Luke, I am your father. (laughs) It was not the reason why, all right? Much deeper reasons. We could have called him Luke Sky Walter, and we didn't do it. No, we stayed away from that. The reason why I named my son Luke, and I embarrassed him a little bit in the service, but I asked if I could do it. The reason why is Luke's gospel, we see Jesus' heart for everyone, even those on the fringes. When you look at Luke's gospel, we see that Jesus was kind to all kinds of people, the poor, the lame, the deaf, the blind, the demon-possessed, lepers, tax collectors, paralytics, prodigals, and even religious know-it-alls. Jesus, as it says in Luke 19, verse 10, came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And he pursued people even at the risk of being ridiculed by others. And he pursued people by simply hanging out with people. In their homes, he ate with them. That was his method. So much so that people began to accuse him of being, quote-unquote, a friend of sinners. In Luke 7, 34, says that the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so what we have here in our text today is an illustration of that accusation. People were accusing Jesus of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and now we see an illustration of that accusation. So around a dinner table, Jesus is extending kindness to a woman in her brokenness and to a man in his smugness. And our challenge today is to see ourselves in these two characters so that we can receive his kindness and then show his kindness to others. And so let's take a look at this moving, penetrating story in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. This is the word of God. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city 
who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now the setting of this story we see in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. So this was a Pharisee. Many of you know the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders who prided themselves on their strict observance of the Old Testament law and looked down upon those who didn't follow the law of God as strict as they did. They were outwardly religious, and yet inwardly they were poisonous their hearts were pervaded with pride. And yet this particular Sabbath day, one of the Pharisees invites Jesus into his home. Why? We don't know the reason. Perhaps it was to catch Jesus in his words, or perhaps he was curious. Most often, it was common that after a rabbi would teach in the Jewish synagogue, they would, they would invite him over to their home. And so perhaps Jesus had just taught, the Pharisee was there, and invited him. Now here in the text we see that they took their place at the table. This would have been kind of a U-shaped table like you see in those pictures of Jesus sitting with his disciples in the Last Supper. This would have been an all-male gathering. And they were gathered together on cushions with their feet extended toward the back, toward the door. In gatherings such as this one, it was common for the host to ensure that his honored guest's feet were washed as he came in because of the culture and wearing sandals in the dusty, muddy roads. They were to wash the feet and to anoint the head with oil and to greet with a holy kiss. This Pharisee 
we'll learn later his name is Simon, did none of those things for Jesus. Now, news would have traveled around town about Jesus' invitation to the Pharisees' house, as many would have likely heard him just teach in the synagogue. And so into this setting of holy men gathered together around this feast enters this woman of the city described as a sinner, which was a euphemism for a prostitute. As we'll see later in verse 47, she had sinned a lot. Her sins are many, it says. She had committed adultery many times. And no doubt by now she was carrying a load of shame around her neck. And I'm sure her reputation preceded her in the community. She was well known as the local marriage wrecker, the adulterer. And yet here she is, she's crashing the party, so to speak, because she had heard that Jesus was there. And perhaps she had just been struck to the heart by his teaching, and she couldn't help but interrupt this gathering. Now notice what she does in verse 38. I want you to see her today. I want you to see her. Look at verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So Luke gives so many details here. He's a doctor, as you recall, and every detail matters. First, he records that as she's entering into this dinner setting, she's standing behind Jesus' feet, at his feet, unworthy to be looked upon by Jesus. She's coming humbly. And notice she is weeping. She is so broken, so overcome with emotion. I mean, this is loud crying. She's bawling and completely interrupting everything. You can imagine her, I don't know if you've ever been in this place before, where it's just you're overcome with emotion and conviction of your sin. This woman, perhaps snot was dripping. She was crying with many tears, so many, she's actually washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Notice she did not bring a towel with her, and so she let down her hair, which would have been a very intimate thing back then that was reserved mainly for just husbands and wives in that kind of setting, but this woman didn't care. She let down her hair to wipe off all the tears off Jesus' feet, and she's kissing his feet, it says, repeatedly, tenderly, affectionately, and it says here she's pouring out this jar, this alabaster jar, this flask of ointment, this perfume. Now, more than likely, because of her trade as a prostitute, she wore this around her neck. Back then, hygiene wasn't very good, and so for a woman to attract other men, she wore this perfume. And yet here we see in this text she doesn't care about that, even though it's expensive. She pours it all out on the feet of Jesus in worship. So here's this woman, a sinner, a prostitute, 
interrupting everything, weeping, kissing his feet, pouring out this jar of perfume. Why is she doing this? This would have been scandalous. It was because she can't hold back her love and affection for Jesus. I mean, these were acts of love and devotion. She had been truly broken in her sin and now full of heartfelt affection for her Savior. Why? Well, verse 47, as we're going to see, tells us that she had been forgiven. She'd been forgiven of her sins. In this moment of deep brokenness, Jesus' kindness overwhelms her. What strikes me most about Jesus' reaction to this woman is what he doesn't do. Notice, he doesn't get irritated. He's not upset with this interruption. If you make your way through the Gospels, you're going to see that Jesus was interrupted quite often. And every time he's interrupted, he doesn't treat people as if they were a nuisance. He welcomes them gently, humbly. How about you? So he's not upset. He doesn't rebuke her. No, he receives her and accepts her. He's totally accepting of her inner brokenness. And quietly receives her acts of love and affection, even at the risk of being ridiculed by others in his presence. Guys, in our moments of deepest brokenness, Jesus accepts us and showers us with his kindness. You see this woman today, and do you see yourself in this woman? If so, come to Jesus this morning just as you are. He's not gonna throw your past back in your face, make you feel the shame over and over again for it. No, he has forgiven you, he loves you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, His love and his kindness can cover your sin and brokenness because he took all of that upon the cross. And if you come humbly this morning to Jesus, he can forgive you. You see, we're all a mess this morning, every one of us. We come in here this morning, we are a mess. And Jesus, in his mercy, meets us in our mess. But you've got to admit it You can't come in here with this pretense, I've got it all together. Look at me. You've got to see yourself as a broken sinner in need of a savior, which is why one of the things we want to keep communicating to you, especially if if you're new with us here, we are just an imperfect group of people clinging to a perfect savior. There's nobody here that's a hero except for King Jesus. And he invites us to come to him just as we are. And yet sadly, sadly, for some of us, it's just easier to see other people's sin rather than our own. Remember, while this sinful woman is is interrupting and weeping and, and, and showing her love and affection for Jesus, there's another person who's just watching and observing. And we get a window into what he was thinking in verse 39. Look there with me. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Notice he's not saying this out loud. He's too polished, too polite. He's not going to say that in front of this so-called prophet. But he's thinking it. He's having a disapproving conversation with himself. He's bothered. He's disgusted. You're going to see him, can't you? He's seething on the inside, standing over in judgment, silently questioning, condemning, not just this woman, but even Jesus himself. Let me just stop here and say this. Aren't you glad you're not like him? How often do you have disapproving conversations with yourself about other people whom you disagree with? How often during this pandemic have you felt this silent superiority over someone else who disagrees with you? I realize this has been a highly charged emotional time of social and political division in our culture. And I don't know if you have felt this, the feeling of being astounded at the reaction of one of your friends who's a Christian, thinking if he's really a Christian, surely he would react and think just like me? And you just kind of give that person the cold shoulder, maybe not in person, but in your mind, as you continue to sit in your smugness and you can't even see it in you. That was going on. That's what was going on here with this Pharisee. But what bothered him most was not the sinful woman's actions, but Jesus' reaction to her. He was actually bothered by Jesus' kindness. Here's why. Number one, he didn't see Jesus rightly. He didn't. I mean, think about this for a minute. He invited the Son of God over to dinner, and he totally missed it. He didn't see his mercy for lost people. He didn't see Jesus rightly. Secondly, he didn't see this woman rightly. In fact, in verse 44, we're going to see that Jesus actually asks this man named Simon, do you see this woman? I think he's talking about just physical with your eyes. Do you see this woman as I see her? Do you see beyond her former way of life? Or have you just put her into a category and just kept her there. In reality, this man needed forgiveness just as much as this woman. His pride was just as ugly as her prostitution. He was just as dirty as she was, perhaps even more, but he couldn't see it in himself. And so how is Jesus going to react to this? He could have gotten angry at this Pharisee, yet instead he responds gently. He responds with kindness to this man's smugness. He knew his thoughts and wanted to help him see himself for who he really was. And so he tells this smart man, and I love this right here, I love this, I love this. He tells this smart man this very simple story in verses 41 to 42. Look at it with me. 
a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And so you have two different people who are in debt. One with a large debt, 500 denarii, would have been two years worth of wages, and one with a rather relatively small debt of 50 denarii, which would have been more like two months' wages. And of course, this is not hard to follow the logic, and Simon's response is rather telling in verse 43. Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. So I just see Simon saying something like this, yeah, I get it, Jesus, you know, I doesn't take a genius to figure that one out, right? Come on, Jesus. We don't have time for this. Why don't you just tell this prostitute to get lost, then we can get back to dinner and talk about more important things. But Jesus, he leans in a little closer, and he brings this lesson to an application. As he looks at Simon, he tells him, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And of course, he couldn't see her. That was the whole point. He didn't see this woman. He only saw her reputation. He had put her into a category of a person who didn't deserve kindness. He was above her and better than her. Simon, do you see this woman? Because you need to learn from her. Look at verses 44 to 46. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And so bottom line, Simon still sees this woman as a prostitute, while Jesus sees her as a changed person who's totally forgiven. And because she had recognized her sin and how much she needed forgiveness, she couldn't hold back her love for Jesus. She had been forgiven much, so she loved much. Her love and affection, her kindness to Jesus showed evidence that she had been forgiven of her sin. Which, of course, was the opposite for Simon. The reason why he hadn't even shown kindness, these customary acts of kindness, is because his heart was still full of pride. He didn't think he needed to be forgiven. He didn't need forgiveness, therefore, he lacked kindness. Verse 47, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. You know, I asked myself as I was walking through the story and studying it this past week, why is this guy even in this story? I mean, this, this is a beautiful story, isn't it? A beautiful story of grace and kindness. And so I'm asking Jesus, why did you include this Pharisee? And then I realized, the Pharisee is a picture of you and me. It's a picture of us in our arrogance. When you hear a story like this, don't just think, well, yeah, I'm like that woman in her brokenness. Maybe you might need to think, I'm like that guy in his smugness. 
That's the point of the Pharisee. One author put it this way. Where is the Pharisee today? Right here. I am the Pharisee. We are the Pharisees. That's the point of the Pharisee in the Gospels. The Pharisee is the archetype of the hypocrite in every believer. We're all tempted to turn our relationship with Christ into a form of pride over others in a way that makes us feel secure in our own goodness. We are no better than they. In ourselves, we are all Pharisees and we all naturally drift toward a superior stance in relation to our brothers and sisters. So Jesus' kindness will bother us until we see ourselves as the broken sinner, as the one who is lost, as the one who is an outcast, as the one who has an infinite debt that cannot be repaid. Yet Jesus is so kind to us, so patient with us, to expose our hearts like he did for this Pharisee. He was honest. We sang this today, not the righteous, not the righteous. Sinners Jesus came to call. And he's still calling. And he's still welcoming all kinds of lost people into his family. Doesn't matter if you're a prostitute, or a prideful Pharisee, if you're rich or poor, happy or depressed, healthy or addicted, secular or religious, black or white, conservative or liberal. It doesn't matter. Jesus' kindness beckons all of us into his kingdom. Think about this for a minute. Think about the first disciples that Jesus called to himself and how different they were from each other. One author writes this, Jesus called Simon an anti-government zealot and Matthew a government employee into his group of disciples. Think about that for a minute. Do you know what that tells me? That loyalties to Jesus transcend all other loyalties including political ones. Even Simon and Matthew, two people on polar opposite political extremes, were able to live in love in community together. Guys, Jesus is, Jesus' kindness is no respecter of persons because Jesus is on a mission. And, it, and it's bigger than the United States. It's all over this world. If you could see right now what he's doing all over the globe, we would be astounded at he's building and advancing his kingdom of every tongue, tribe, and nation, all cultures and languages, and we get to be a part of that. He's on a mission to seek and to save the lost, so let's don't stand in his way with our self-righteousness. Let's don't be like Simon the Pharisee today. You see, we're living in a time, you know this, we're living in a time of great animosity towards those whom we disagree. And there's a thick layer of self-righteousness over our opinions. And we need to be awakened to this. I need to be awakened to this and to repent of this self-righteousness. 
Let's repent of our need to be right. And let's be different. I mean, when no one else in this world is being kind, let's be known for our kindness. We've been forgiven of so much. So much. Let us love much. When we've received his kindness, we can show his kindness to others. This past week, I've been reflecting and meditating on Philippians chapter 2. Written by a former Pharisee, by the way, the Apostle Paul, who has now been humbled and transformed by Jesus. And he says this in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul, this former Pharisee, now transformed, humbled by Jesus, is saying, you need to have that same mind. You need to have that same attitude as your Savior. And so, what does that look like in real life? Let me give you three Steps of application this morning, and we'll be done. Number one, look for opportunities to serve and show kindness to those around you. People need to see a difference in us during this season. We want to carry the mission of Jesus forward through our kindness. One example of that, we already heard at the uh, onset of our service, there was a group of folks who went to Cedar Rapids to show kindness to people who are dealing with just a lot right now. Uh, my parents live there, my sister lives there, thankfully they're doing okay, but uh, Paul and Char Lager went on this um, service team of Jordan Yates, Teresa Olish, Diana Bolin, uh, Laura Gibson, thank you guys for doing that. And I've heard now there's potentially another group that's going to be going maybe in a week or so. So look for more information on that. If you want to go uh, see Paul or see one of us pastors, so serve. Look for opportunities to serve. Number two, pray. Pray. We often forget that all of us here in this room, we can, we can pray. And in particular, I'm thinking of our healthcare professionals in this community and beyond. Sometimes we just kind of forget like they're there. They've been in this thing for a long time, testing people, helping people, loving people, and sometimes with anxiety because they got to go back home, not knowing you know, just how this virus might affect them. It's so unpredictable. In some, it just goes right away, and others, it kills them. And they're living with that. So let's pray for them. And, and pray for teachers and students as they return back to school. And those who are part of our administration, leadership, let's pray for them. We're going to do so at the end of our service today. And then thirdly, just want to land here for a couple minutes. Let's welcome everyone into our family humbly. 
We want to serve and love everyone in our church and in our community. We want to especially think of those who are more vulnerable during this season, and it's hard for them to step back into service, to re-engage into our community. And so as pastors and elders, we have been praying and spending time listening to our governing officials, medical professionals in our area, school administrators, our church family. And after listening and talking together, we've decided to offer some new options as we enter the fall season. So beginning August 30th, that's next Sunday, our 8.30 a.m. service will be a vulnerable, friendly, mask-only service. We're going to ask anyone over the age of five to wear a mask while in the building during this time as a way of humbly serving and loving those in our church and community who are a little bit more vulnerable. 10 a.m., the service will continue to be mask optional, so you can come with a mask or without. But in both of these services, we're going to continue to strive to be a safe and loving environment for you and your family, practicing social distancing and cleaning in between services. Also want to make note of this, this will be a change. We're going to begin offering nursery care for ages zero to three, all right, beginning next week during both of those services. And we'll continue to offer our live stream service at 10 o'clock for those out there unable to join us. And if that's you today, thank you for joining us online. But I want to be clear, as pastors and elders, we're not making this decision out of fear. We're not motivated by some political point or stance whatsoever. We're doing this out of a desire to humbly serve and love our church family and our larger community. That's why we're doing this. And so we ask for your prayers for our church for our community during this time. Let us be known for our kindness. As we receive the kindness of Jesus, let's show the kindness to others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that eternity is coming soon. And whatever struggles and challenges we face, are really light and momentary. Forgive us for making all these things such a huge deal that we have forgotten your mission right in front of us, that people need Jesus, that eternity is coming soon, and we want to have more and more people come like this woman, broken right to you, and being saved, redeemed, and worshiping you. Father, we pray for humble hearts, and pray for us that we would be, as Paul wrote here, having the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. I pray that there would be in us a, a deeper awareness of our need for you, our dependence upon you, and may, may the fruit of the Spirit, of love and peace and patience and kindness flow out of us to our culture during this unique season. Lord, we're grateful that we're all united around the blood of Jesus. You paid it all so that we can now be forgiven and free to worship. And so in that posture, may we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's